seated? Well, can I get you to please uh, open your Bibles on uh, Acts chapter 1, our first reading just now on page 1084, page 1084, and keep one bookmark there, which actually that's the place we're going to be starting off. But can I also ask you to put one bookmark on page 887 in Daniel chapter 7? So, one bookmark on page 887, Daniel chapter 7. Thank you so much for doing this. And one bookmark on Colossians 3 on page 1174. So, one in Daniel 7 on page 887. And 1 Colossians 3, page 1174. And then it's open on page 1084, Acts chapter 1. Now, there's also an outline uh, in the middle of the bulletin uh, that's there. Uh, we will move very quickly through points one to six, but there are four sub-points under point seven, uh, so uh, you can use the other side if you're taking notes. Uh, today is a Sunday after Ascension, uh, because we only a few people come to church nowadays on Ascension, uh, on Ascension Day, so we're doing all the Ascension Day readings, and we're going to cel- we're celebrating Ascension Day uh, again uh, today. So let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus, has indeed ascended into heaven and is seated at your right hand. And we thank you for all this means for us as your people. And we pray that as we look at your word together, uh, that you help us to see him more clearly, to appreciate his ascension more, to love him and to obey him as our ascended Lord and King. Help me, I pray, to teach your word rightly and in your Spirit's power. And may your Spirit who gave us this word work in each one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when somebody goes away, it's often very hard for the people left behind, isn't it? Uh, We've all had friends or loved ones who have moved overseas and and saying goodbye is not easy. Well, today is Mother's Day, and I can see my mother sitting there. And I remember that many years ago, when I left KL to study overseas, it was very hard for my mother. Well, she fully supported the move because she thought it was good for me, but it wasn't easy for her. When it comes to the ascension of Jesus, things are actually quite different. Uh, In our gospel reading, we saw the disciples' reaction to the ascension was to worship Jesus and return to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, why is the ascension such a joyful thing? What's so good about the ascension of the Lord Jesus? Well, let's bear that question in mind as we look at Luke's account of the ascension in the book of Acts. But before that, let's think about the context of the ascension in Luke's writings. In Luke's gospel, the ascension can be seen to be the climax of Jesus' work. And when Jesus began to head to Jerusalem for his death and resurrection, remember how Luke described it? Let me read it to you from Luke 9.51. When the time drew near for him to be taken up, 
he set his face to go to Jerusalem. See that? Uh, in this perspective, Christ's ascension was actually the big goal. His death and resurrection were, were big events on the way there. Oh, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? And when Luke writes Acts, he begins with the ascension. Because of the rest of the book of Acts is going to be the story of how the ascended Christ will continue to work by His Spirit through His apostles. But Luke gives us a little bit of background to the ascension in the first few verses of the book. Jesus had been appearing to His disciples over and over again in the 40 days after His resurrection. He had shown Himself alive to them with many proofs, spoken to them about the kingdom of God, urged them to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then they'll be empowered to be His witnesses, verse 8, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, we read this. And when He had said these things... As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, hang on, Andrew, you might say. Hang on. Are we being told that heaven is just up there in the clouds, and that, and that Jesus was being transported up? Because, you know, I've been in an aeroplane, and I look out the window, and it's not like that. And, you know, we've been to space. And we know about the solar system. And we know that one mile out from the ground is not where heaven is. So let's think about it a little bit more. Jesus often appeared and disappeared, didn't he? After his resurrection. His resurrection body seems to be able to, to materialize or, or dematerialize at will. But perhaps he just enters or leaves our dimension at any special point that he wants. Let me illustrate for you. Imagine... You drew this, this plan of a house on a piece of paper. Can, can you see that house plan? All right. Now, imagine for some reason you want to put the tip of these glasses into, into one of the rooms. Let's say in that room over there. Right? You want to put the tip of the glass. So what do you do? You touch it like that. Like, huh? You don't need to go through the, you know, the front door and then walk through this door and then walk through this door up here and then, then go inside there. You just put it straight on. And you're going to take it off. You can just take it straight off. And then... You can take it off from there and put it somewhere else on the paper. Now, to someone who lives in a two-dimensional world of the paper, it would seem as if the, the, the tip of my glasses keeps on appearing and disappearing, as if it's materializing and dematerializing. But, but it's only because they're limited by their dimension. Now, of course, this is just an illustration. Uh, how it works with the resurrection of the body of Jesus is, is speculative. But, but, but what it's clear is that the, He is no longer bound by our normal limitations of space. Then if that is the case, we mustn't think that the ascension of Jesus was necessary from a transportation point of view. I didn't go up to, to meet a UFO or something like that to, to take him away. He doesn't literally fly into heaven because he, he doesn't need to. He could have just disappeared. But then, why does he leave in this particular way? Well, I think there are four things that Jesus shows by doing it this way. And we can begin them, we can, we can group them under the next four headings in your notes, which each begin with the letter C. First of all, it brings closure to his time on earth. Right? There's a, a definite end to his appearances. Now, it doesn't mean that he can never appear again, but that it's no longer expected. 
And even when he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, he does so from heaven, not, not walking around like he did in those 40 days. And we will see later when we get to verse 11, the next time we expect to see him on earth like that is, is when he comes again the same way at his second coming. The fact that Jesus ascends the way he does brings closure to his time on earth. Closure that it wouldn't have come by simply disappearing and then not appearing again. The second point comes to light when we consider the cloud. Why the cloud? Again, not to hide the UFO that comes to pick him up. What's the meaning of the cloud? Well, the clouds in the Bible symbolize the presence of God himself, doesn't it? Remember how God led the Israelites out of Egypt? The pillar of cloud by day. Remember how the cloud filled the tabernacle and the tabernacle and the temple when God's presence entered? Remember how the cloud covered Mount Sinai when God spoke from the mountain to Moses and to the people of Israel? Remember how the cloud came and, and covered Jesus and Moses and Elijah at the time of the transfiguration and then the voice of the Father came out? The fact that Jesus went up into the cloud signals to his watching, the, to his watching disciples that he has gone into the very presence of the Father, that he's entered the throne room of heaven. So if anyone asks, where is Jesus now? The answer is, he's in heaven. He, he's made present to us by his Spirit, whom he has poured out upon us. Spirit is with us on earth, but, but Jesus himself is actually in heaven. He is with the Father. And so we say in the Creed, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's another significance to the cloud, but, but we'll see that in a moment. But before that, we answer another question, which brings us to the next C. Why is the course that he takes an upward direction? Why the, why the vertical course? Why not have the cloud cover over him like at the transfiguration, and then when the cloud is gone, he's gone? Well, the fact that Jesus ascends into heaven tells us that he is being exalted. Uh, the Apostle Peter would later write that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven at God's right hand with the angels and authorities and powers in submission to Him. And the Apostle Paul wrote in the second reading we read today that God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come and that God placed all things under his feet and so the ascension shows that Jesus is being exalted being given the highest place back in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel God gave Daniel a vision of beasts who would rule the world one by one and God's judgment would come upon them, the power would be taken from them and instead be given to this one like a son of man. Come, keep your finger in Acts, but come with me into your bookmark in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Let's read it together. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, notice the clouds, came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days as God the Father, and was presented to him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man comes on the clouds to the Ancient of Days. So it's as if in Acts we're looking from down, looking up, and Daniel's looking from the, from the top, looking, coming in. And you know what happens? He's given the kingship. The ascension in the cloud shows that Jesus has been exalted to the highest place, that he's that son of man, that, that king of God's kingdom. That every, people from every language and nation should serve him, should worship him. In fact, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. You see why the ascension is that end goal to which the the death and resurrection of Jesus was going towards. His exaltation shows that He is Lord and that everyone should serve Him. But there's more. There's another reason why it's important that He didn't just disappear. Because if he did, we would never know if he was now physical or spirit. Because notice, he ascended in his human body, didn't he? It's corporal. Right? It simply means in the body. I use the word corporal instead of bodily, simply so I can get another C. Right? Uh, uh, we all know what corporal punishment is. Right? You get whacked in the body, isn't it? And Jesus' resurrection was corporal in his body, and his ascension was corporal in his body. We know now that because of the ascension, we know that it is as a human being that he has gone into heaven. He doesn't become a spirit and leave his body behind. Oh, no, 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 no. He ascends into heaven as a man, as a full, living, breathing human being. He's both God and man, but he never gave up his manhood in his resurrection and ascension. You know, I used to think that that Jesus became man in the incarnation and then stopped becoming man at the ascension. But but actually, I was wrong. Jesus is still God, and He is still human. That's that's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? The incarnation was not a temporary thing. Jesus continues to have both His divine and human nature. And now, therefore, we have a man exalted to the right hand of God the Father in glory. He is the head of humanity, the perfect man, the ruler of the world. And come to think of it, isn't that what God always intended for humanity? Remember Genesis 1? God made man in his image to rule the world, and, and yes, we sinned, and instead of ruling the world properly under God, we've rebelled against him, and then we've made a mess of the world. But the ascension of Jesus to God's right hand, to a place of power and authority and rulership, that means that once again, a human being is ruling the world. Jesus is all that we humans were meant to be, but have failed to be. And so as son of man, he rules everything. He fulfills the human destiny. Oh, that's, that's something to rejoice in, isn't it? But the fact that Jesus is truly human and ascended also means that he is perfectly qualified to be our great high priest, the one who represents us before God. You know, our representative needs to be human 
in order to represent us humans. And Jesus really is. He's that great high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priests serve God in the temple. But that's a picture that points forward to the true high priest who serves God in heaven. And in the temple of the Old Testament, the most holy place was, was where the presence of God dwelt. And it was separated from the rest of the temple by this big curtain. And only the high priest could enter inside that behind the curtain. And only then once a year, and only then after offering sacrifices first for his sins, and then for the sins of the people. Now the true high priest, that's Jesus. He was sinless, so he didn't need to offer a sacrifice for himself. But he did offer a sacrifice for his people. And that sacrifice was his very self. He sacrificed himself. He died for our sins on the cross. He was that sacrifice. And having offered that sacrifice once and for all, he entered behind that curtain into the most holy place. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he is in that inner place, behind the curtain, in the very presence of his Father. And what does he do there? He always lives to intercede for us. He is praying for us, each one of his people, in the very presence of the Father himself. And that's a great comfort to us, isn't it? Our high priest who loves us, who died for us, represents us before the Father, and even now, in the Father's presence, is praying for us. What a thing to rejoice about. The ascension is also something that needed to happen before Pentecost. Because, you see, it is the ascended Christ who sends the Spirit from the Father. And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter would say, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, which he pours out on his people. It is Christ who gives the Spirit, nobody else. And the coming of the Spirit shows that Jesus is the ascended Lord. And even now, the Spirit makes that objective reality of the Lordship of Christ real in our own lives. The ascension of Christ is also linked to the fact that Jesus will return. And so, C number six is His coming again. And that's the message given by the angels who appeared on the scene. Have a look at verse 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascended physically as a glorified human being. He will come back again physically as a glorified human being. He didn't ascend and will come. He won't just come back in some vague way, like in someone's memories. He's not just going to come back spiritually. Well, the coming of the Spirit and the second coming of Christ, these are two quite distinct things. He doesn't come back by reincarnation. He's not going to come back as somebody else, the next religious guru, if that could happen anyway. And he's certainly not going to come back as a baby and grow up again or, or anything like that. Oh, no, no, no. 
He is coming back in the same way that He left, in His resurrection body, in His glorified body, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we come to the conclusion, where does the rubber hit the road? What difference does the ascension make in our lives? What are the implications for us? Well, there are four implications to consider depending on who we are. Firstly, if we are here this evening and Jesus is not yet our Lord, then the ascension of Jesus tells us that we need to take action. Uh, maybe you've been taught since you were small that Jesus is just a prophet or a guru or one of the many gods or deities. Or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you know very well that Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You are still living for yourself. Well, the ascension tells us that Jesus is the exalted King of the whole world. We must all bow the knee to Him. We must all worship Him alone. We must all give our lives to Him in service. He deserves it. He's the head of humanity. He's the ascended King, nobody else. Obeying Him is not optional. Jesus is Lord. And if we will not submit to Him as Lord, then, then we will face the consequences of our refusal. We must give our lives to obeying the ascended King Jesus. Secondly, if we are struggling believers, then what we have been reminded of today ought to be of great comfort to us. We know that the return of Jesus will bring an end to pain and struggles, he, that He will put all things right and wipe every tear from our eyes. But in the meantime, as we wait for the day, we know that Jesus is still the ascended reigning King. He is Lord, and nothing can change that. And so, as loyal subjects of His kingdom, we have confidence to live in His world. As loyal subjects of His kingdom, we have confidence to go and make disciples under His authority. And whatever has happened, whatever happens in this world, we know that He is on the throne. No matter what trials we face, no matter what persecutions we endure, no matter what, Jesus is Lord. As we read on in the book of Acts, we will see how He exercises His Lordship in all the events of this book. And one day, we will look back and see how He has exercised His Lordship in all the events of our lives. There may be things that we face, things that we go through that we can't understand, but on that day, we will realize how Jesus as Lord and King has ruled over all things, the good, the bad, even the ugly, for our ultimate good, and, and through it all brought us safely to Himself. That's good reason to rejoice. But not only are we comforted by His Lordship, we, we are comforted by His intercession. For whatever happens to us, our great high priest is on the other side of that curtain. He loves us. He died for us. He makes our case to the Father for us. We don't need to ask Mary or the saints to intercede for us in heaven. Our great high priest is all that we need. Another good reason to rejoice.
Thirdly, the ascension of Jesus gives us great hope for our future. Remember how the angel says that Jesus will come back again? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that when Jesus comes, he will bring with him those who have died in the faith. They will be raised from the dead, and together with the believers who are alive, they will be, and I quote, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What's that saying? It's saying that when Jesus comes back, we will ascend as well, isn't it? And that's another great cause for rejoicing. Just as the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our resurrection, the ascension of Jesus guarantees our ascension as well. Christ is our head. Where he goes, we follow. He reigns in glory over all the world. He will share his glory with us, and we will reign with him. That's good reason to rejoice. But it's not only his reign that we will share. Remember how Jesus entered behind the curtain to the very presence of the Father himself? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 tells us that he, our high priest, has gone there as our forerunner. He's gone there as our forerunner. That means that we will share that intimacy with the Father as well. We will be with Him on the other side of the curtain, loving, enjoying, and worshiping the Father together forever. That is God's promise to us. That is the sure and steadfast hope that we cling to. That is our anchor in the midst of a world of uncertainty and trouble. And that is another wonderful reason to rejoice. So, brothers and sisters, we have seen this evening that the ascension of Jesus is something to rejoice in. But there's one more thing we need to say about the implications of the ascension before we close. There is a sense in which we have already ascended with Christ. Just as we died with Him spiritually and were raised with Him spiritually, we have ascended with Him spiritually. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. And we see the implications of that in Colossians chapter 3. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. You've got that bookmarked. It's on page 1174. The Apostle Paul tells us that, that we have ascended spiritually with Christ, but as we have seen, our, that glory of our ascent, that's not seen until Christ comes again. So what are the implications? Chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, this is where it's coming again, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your ascension 
that is spiritually true will be literally true. So what do we do? Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. And what does that mean? Well, verse 5, that means to get, to get rid of sexual sin. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In verse 8, get rid of relational sin. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lies. Get rid of that. And instead, verse 12, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love. We belong to the ascended Christ in heaven. And he calls us to live in that way. Live as people who belong in heaven as we wait for the day that when he returns and we physically ascend with him. Let's pray. Grant we beseech thee, almighty God, that like as we do believe thy only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into the heavens, so may we also with him continually dwell, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen.